Good evening. Welcome you back to Sunday night study. We're going to be in John chapter 14 tonight. If you're following along in your Bibles, I hope that you'll join us there. We were in John chapter 14 this morning, but just a part of it. It's a, it's a weird time in our, in our current world because there's two groups of people, two very stark, very different groups of people, and they are uh, as follows. The first group grew up in a time before GPS. You know, when you wanted to go somewhere, there was a time when you had to have the old Rand McNally. Uh, that's a map company, by the way, if you gesture into our teens. You know, figure out, uh, you would have to kind of use the highlighter, and this is how we did it, you know, highlight your, your route. And you had one person driving, especially someplace you'd never been before. And <laughs> you had the person riding shotgun, their job was to navigate, uh, to tell you when you missed an exit, and, and to, to keep on going. Uh, that was their job. Uh, I remember uh, several years ago when I was uh, delivering pizzas on the side, and uh, that was just right as GPS was new enough that I didn't have one. And uh, I, I was thinking about that the other day. I used to have to go to addresses here in town and deliver pizzas, and I had no, I had never been here before. So it was just literally looking at a giant map of Wichita and hoping you could remember the route and trying to get there as quick as you could. And in a matter of a few years, that all has changed. You know, now, we don't, you know, remember if, if, if so we, do you know how to get there? If you were asking somebody to a place you've never been, and, and you say, no, I've never been there before. And they say, well, it's easy. What you do is you go about eight miles this way, and you come to a stoplight, and then you'll turn right, and you go down to the old farmhouse, and then you'll turn left there. And, you know, there, there was this verbal instructions. And some people still try to do that. When you, you know, if they say you know how to get there, and they seem unaware of the fact that there's, you know, these devices where you can just plug it in and it tells you the way. Uh, it's interesting you don't always find the way, the GPS for the great technology that it is. Uh, raise your hand if you ever had one lead you in the wrong way. Okay, we did. One of our very first times to use a GPS, we uh, was actually a family here and they let us use it on our way up to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And uh, said, you have one? I said, no. And they said, here, use ours. And so we graciously accepted. And it took us all the way almost to uh, the Mayo Clinic. But I believe it tried to veer us off toward Walmart. Um, and the people there were less than helpful with our medical needs. So uh, if you've had one of those experiences, you know that GPS, as great as it is, is not always 100% accurate. It gets better all the time, but it's an interesting consideration. How do we find the way? Even the way in which we find the way has changed. Tonight, we're talking about the spiritual way. Jesus is talking about that. And it is, things are changing for the apostles. Things are about to change in a drastic way. As the beginning of the end for them. This three years that they have enjoyed walking and talking and following Jesus and listening to Jesus and and. And him sending them out and them coming back and them reporting what they saw and what they did. Uh, they always were anchored to the physical incarnate Jesus. And I think, and, and scripture seems to back this up, that there were several times where they said, you know, we're just going to, we're just, we've just hitched our star to his, hits our wagon to his star and, and we're going right up the ladder here and uh, he's going to be king. 
And how it fell to us to be his disciples, we don't know, but we're in a good spot. And when he becomes king, things are going to be real good for, for, for the 12 of us. Of course, they radically misunderstood Jesus' way. So as, as they come near the end and they're, uh, they're sharing this meal together, Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, everyone from Peter all the way down to Judas. Uh, he does, Jesus does what I envision most of us would do, or at least want to do, if we knew when our last night on earth would be, or when our last day on earth would be. We would gather around us those we, that we most dearly loved, and we would talk and we would share the things that were most important to know. Jesus does the same thing. Now, the disciples don't realize it quite yet, but they will, uh, that their world, as they have known it, is, is about to be shattered. Uh, fear, anxiety, doubt, confusion, despair, all of those emotions, and then some, are, are going to come through their minds and, and through their hearts. And so, Jesus, in, in the example where you and I know our last day on earth... We'd probably be pretty self-centered about it. Jesus, of course, being Jesus, isn't thinking about himself at all. I mean, I know he, that's part of it, but the reason he's talking to them is for their benefit. The things that he says is for their benefit, and so the things we're going to look at tonight is for their benefit, but also for ours. His words are going to have to guide them and comfort them through some pretty dark days. And as they begin the church... In Acts chapter 2, some pretty, pretty, a fairly challenging undertaking to take on the message of the gospel and, and not just share it with your brothers, the Jews, but to see that it spreads to Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. So it's a big deal and a challenging time, and Jesus' words are instructive. So with that in mind, we're in John chapter 14, and we're going to read verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Uh, the reminder uh, from this morning is that Jesus is the only path to peace. He tells them, let not your hearts be troubled, which seems unusual considering what they're all about to endure, how their hearts could not be troubled. But then he anchors them. As you face this fear and worry and anxiety and wondering what next and the uh, confusion and despair and all of that, uh, I want you to anchor yourself in, in two beliefs and two trustworthiness. And that is, one, in God, my Father, and in me. He'll go on to elaborate on that here in a second. Um, <clears throat> a couple of chapters over, in the same conversation, chapter 16, verse 33 Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus does not promise them peace and prosperity. He says that he is the path to peace. Uh, that doesn't mean a life free of trouble. It means uh, an anchor in times of trouble. And they will need him, as we do. Uh, verses 2 through 4, 
In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. All right, so the first promise is that Jesus is the path to peace. The second is he is the preparer of permanence. Um, Try to, in your mind, think back in every home you've ever lived. It's an interesting mental exercise. I've known a few people who basically lived in their, the same home their entire life, but not many. I think the average is seven years in our culture that we tend to stay in one place and move. But if you can, if you can recollect to all of the homes you've lived in, uh, we've lived in four homes just since we've come back to Wichita over the past 23 years, so I guess our average is a little worse. We're a little less than six years. Um, All of those places were home for a time, but not permanently so. You ever do this thing when you go to uh, one of the homes that you used to live in, whether it was the the home that you grew up in or the home uh, that you lived in several years ago, just to drive by, just to look at it, just to see. Does it bother you? It always bothers you, doesn't it? Because the people who live there now, they didn't make the right call, did they? they? They didn't paint it the right color. Uh, they moved your favorite tree. They cut it down. Uh, what did they do? What are they doing with with the paint on the door? Seriously? Well, that that's the natural response because that was our home, and in some ways we still see it as our home. Um, this came up in a family conversation. I don't exactly know how. They, man, I hope they're not watching on live stream. But anyway, the. Previous owners were <laughs> we're talking about our old house, and Christy says, can't believe they painted the door that color. And I said, I, have, I do not care at all. It's not my house anymore. That was the purpose of the closing, was to say, this is no longer my house. It's not my problem anymore. You paint it whatever color you want. All of our homes in this world are impermanent. They are, they are not permanent in nature. And Jesus says here, and in the same way that his disciples are never going to be at home in this world, he points them to a more permanent place. Someone once said, and you've heard it repeated, uh, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. I really like the, uh, this world, although it's not home, it sure is a beautiful place. God takes it, such a temporary world makes it so beautiful. I can only imagine what a permanent one must look like. We were driving down Mays Road today, and I said, how is it that God can take such ordinary colors like yellow and brown and orange and green and make them so beautiful? And he does that for an inconsequential thing like the leaves falling off of trees. If he'll do that for a world like this, what must the world to come be like? Peter writes this as he nears the end of his life in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and following. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord 
One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away. With a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. See, he says all this at some, at some point is going to come to an end. And the comparison he gives is like a thief in the night, which tells you a couple things. We're not really going to be prepared for it. A thief comes at night for the purpose of surprising you. A thief comes at night because he knows that's when you're least prepared. And Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, people will be marrying and giving a marriage. There's going to be all, life will just be happening when Jesus returns. Uh, there's a premillennial theology that's getting, getting worked over really well, which premillennialism is, is the idea that Jesus is going to return, there's going to be the rapture, and then there's going to be a thousand years, and Jesus reigns on earth, and the temple's back in Jerusalem, and all these things. I don't subscribe to that doctrine, but it's a popular one. And, you know, the, the reason I don't subscribe to the doctrine is because it, it fits uh, every single world scenario. You know, like every time there's trouble in the Middle East, the premillennials go, okay, here we go, here we go. There's the Antichrist right there. All right, all right, rapture's coming around the corner. And it's just, it never happens. Uh, Jesus said about that day, no one knows. It's going to be like a normal day, I think, or a normal night. But when it happens, in an instant, everything will change. And the things that you thought mattered will not. And the things that you thought very little of suddenly become very important. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, Peter says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. It's a beautiful promise. And it was one that Jesus reminded them right before he left. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I, if I go to do that, you need to know that I'm coming back. Number three, Jesus is the unparalleled promise. Um, this is starting about verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Okay, he's, he's, he's got the wrong GPS software here. He's not quite up to speed. He hasn't quite figured it out. And Jesus said to him, and I'm pretty sure he went, because <sighs> I think Jesus did that a lot. Um, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, 
you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Uh, Brendan Weathers doing a class on the, the I am statements of Jesus. This is the sixth one in the Gospel of John. And it is a very exclusive claim. I am the way. Jesus was not an all paths kind of guy. He was not a super inclusive guy that said uh, whatever feels right to you. He was very clear on this. I am the way and the truth and the life. Which is a binary statement. I know binary is not real popular these days, but it was. You know, It's like it's either true or false. It can only be one. Jesus was exclusively the way to God or he was not. If he's not, he's a liar or crazy. So, <clears throat> he is the embodiment of that promise, of being the only one and the only way. Verses 8 through 11. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, okay, and again, what does he do? Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least, or else, believe on the account of the works themselves. He, he is the path of peace, the preparer of permanence, the unparalleled promise, and the only parallel to God. Jesus was very clear. He, he wasn't just the way to the Father. Here he gets more specific with Philip, Philip, I am the Father. The Father and I are one. He is in me and I'm in him. Together, we are... We, and of course, this is heresy if it's not true. Jesus is so clear on this that you, you're just faced with a choice when it comes to him. Uh, he would say in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is, is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. For those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus was not one to over-exaggerate. When he uses the term many and few, he's being very clear. There's a lot of people that will not go on the, on the narrow path that leads to life. They will go on the wide path that leads to destruction. And that's not great to think about. But Jesus was completely clear about who he was. And we should be clear on who he is as well. And so, as he says in Luke 13, 24... May we strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. 
Now, is this because Jesus is actually resisting people? I think it's more because people try to enter the narrow path based on their own good works, their own achievements. They, as we talked about this morning, they believe in themselves. And folks, when it comes to getting to heaven, it has, if it has anything to do with your effort, you're missing the point. It's not to say we don't, there's not responses, there's not obedience, all of these things, but we need to be just absolutely clear that we enter by the grace of God. It's not based on our works, lest anyone should boast. And too often, we try to do it on our own, based on our own methods and our own works and our own abilities. Last one. Uh, John makes it very clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise. Uh, John, I actually looked some of these up. John has said these things about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Uh, He said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory and the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. He says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am not doing the works of my Father, Jesus said, then do not believe me. But if I do them, then though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. At the very end of the book of John, Thomas replies, after after getting hands-on proof (laughs) that Jesus is who he said he was all along, Thomas' response was, my Lord and my God. And for Jesus to not deny that claim would have been heresy, except that he just happened to be in the resurrection body. But for him to accept that is clear evidence to a Jewish mind especially that he knew who he was. In fact, he says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I don't know how John can make it any more clear based on Jesus' life that Jesus was the fulfillment of every promise, every prophecy of Scripture. So, do you know the way? Well, you should. After this lesson, John made it pretty clear and Jesus made it no less clear that he is the only way to God. You know me, because you know me, you know the way. And without me, present physically, you still can know the way. That's our situation. You and I don't have the luxury of eating a meal with Jesus. You and I don't have the luxury of hearing him actually teach, but we can still know the way. The entire theme of the book of John is summed up in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus is the way, and we know the way. The question is, will we walk the way? Will we live as he's called us to live? Will we lay down ourselves as he's called us? Will we not trust in our own understanding, but trust in his? Will we obey him even when it's difficult or uncomfortable? Will we trust him even when we're unsure? Knowing Jesus is the way is one thing, but living according to what he's asked us to do is another thing entirely. And so, my question for you tonight, as I leave the lesson in your hearts, is... If Jesus is the way, are you following the way? Are you walking in it? Are you living by it? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can open your word and that it's so clear that we can understand who Jesus was, who he claimed to be, and how, because of him, we can have access to you, even in this very moment the privilege of coming to you in prayer is one that is because of your Son. Lord, we pray that as we uh, go about our lives in the remaining days of this week and of however many days you've given us, that we might always look to Jesus as the way, that we might bind our wandering hearts to him, and that we might live in a way that lays ourself down and seeks only to please him. Lord, we, we will fall short of that standard we freely acknowledge. Uh, we ask your forgiveness for those times in, when we have fallen short and when we have sinned and, and not done as you've called us to do or that we've done that which you've called us not to do. And as we do so, Father... Uh, as we live in constant need of your mercy and grace, uh, may we not only receive that for ourselves, because you're not willing that any should perish, but may we be willing to be ambassadors of that good news. Father, we know there are countless numbers all around us in our world who are dying, who are headed down the wide path straight toward the destruction of hell, And you want them to know. You want them to hear. Father, lead us to at least one soul this week that we can share the good news with, that we can show the way home. We have uh, so much hurt, so much anger, so much fear in our world. Uh, May we not succumb to that, Father, but may we keep our faith and our hope in you. May we lead as many as we can to follow along. Thank you, Father, for this time, this day, where we've been able to, to worship and fellowship and, um, and, and be reminded of the hope that we have. May we not lose that hope, Father. May you continue to work it in so many ways through our hearts and in our lives. Thank you for this gathering you've had this evening, and we pray that we might live boldly and courageously and continue to share the reason for the hope that we have in you. We pray this all through his name. Amen.